100 new power tools in the global market. Team up with Team Tools and Bosch Power Tools. News, analysis, opinion. The thing that's a shock to the economy is an administration at war with the American people. The radical left is pushing us into a culture of grievance instead of a culture of greatness. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. News, analysis, and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Joel Cannon, producer Garrett, joining me again here on the Elijah Har Show. On the 4th of July, a federal judge handed down a ruling in the Missouri versus Biden case. Joining us now, U.S. Senator and former State's Attorney General, Eric Schmidt. Eric, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Elijah. Eric, it's great to hear your voice. Listen, you filed this case back when you were the Attorney General of Missouri. We see the the results coming down now. Tell our listeners a little bit about what led to the case being filed and what the results of the judge's decision was. Well, yeah, it was a nice Independence Day present um, for the country, quite frankly, to reassert that the First Amendment is still alive and well. So it was a big win for free speech and a big blow to censorship. And that's what this case is all about. So when we filed it last year, it was before the Twitter files, which was certainly amplified, you know, uh, this vast censorship enterprise that has existed between the government and some of the biggest companies in the history of the world, these big tech giants. And so what the, what the lawsuit alleged, uh, I think we filed it in May of last year, over a year ago, was that the Biden administration on a number of different levels and different agencies is pretty broad. Uh, was colluding and coercing big tech giants to suppress speech. As you know, the government can't do that. The First Amendment protects people's right to speak their minds. Um, but the government also can't outsource that, which is exactly what was happening. And so this ruling by the federal judge uh, that came down yesterday is significant. basically says we're now issuing an injunction from any of these agencies. And it is, it is the CDC. It is the FDA. It is CISA. It is the FBI, it is Department of Homeland Security, it's Department of Commerce, that just, and that's not even all of them. That just gives you a sampling of the breadth of this enterprise to collude, like I said, with these big tech giants to take down posts or deplatform people who had, you know, they thought the, there was a the legitimacy of the lab leak or the, you know, ineffectiveness of masks or the Hunter Biden laptop. All of that was part of this, and so it was a big win yesterday. You know, it was interesting because when they handed down the ruling – they listed out almost three pages of federal government agencies they were restricting from from coercing tech companies. Fairly broad ruling and, and seemed unusual to come down on the 4th of July. Like you said, great president on the 4th of July, but I'm, I don't remember the last time we saw a judge issue a ruling on a federal holiday like that. Well, I think you can read a lot into that, and it's positive, right? I think that the judge understood how important this is. And for us as a country to be celebrating these freedoms that we believe in and we cherish, I think it was an emphatic statement. And, um, it, you know, and look, if this is not just you and me talking. A federal judge in that uh, injunction was talking about how this involved the most massive attack on free speech, free speech in U.S. history, comparing the efforts to an Orwellian ministry of truth. And so uh, I think one of the untold stories here is that we were able to early on in this lawsuit, so we file it, and typically for your listeners, there's preliminary motions that are filed before you ever get to discovery, right? Before you ever get to take any depositions, before you ever see any documents. And what we 
petition for the court. First of all, we didn't sue the big tech companies. We sued the government. And that's a very different thing than typical lawsuits. And then we were able to get this information early, like the emails, the text messages, the direct messages. So, for example, the Surgeon General of the United States communicating directly with a senior Facebook official saying, take this down. And the response, of course, what else can we do? I mean, this was the kind of direct communication and coercion, threatening to take away their Section 230 protections, which shield them from liability. There's a lot of stuff that was going on here. We were able to ascertain that. Uh, I was able to take the deposition of Anthony Fauci, for example, um, in November. We had an FBI agent that was deposed that talked about how they were having weekly meetings with big tech companies, warning them about a Russian hack and leak operation uh, ahead of the 2020 election. Then, lo and behold, there's an affidavit from uh, a Twitter executive saying they were talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. That's what they were talking about, even though the FBI already had it. So this is the kind of stuff I think that was moving for the judge to issue this historic sort of injunction that, that came out, like I said, on the 4th of July. Well, I think we're all jealous that you got to ask Anthony Fauci questions because, you know, we all have a few questions for him ourselves. But um, well, jo- well, listen, one, one side story to that that um, I'll share is we were taking the deposition, and this is not a, like a joke, this actually happened. Halfway <laughs> through the deposition, the court reporter sneezed. Unbelievable. And he looked at her and asked her if she had an upper respiratory virus and then, you know, asking her to wear a, a, a face mask, wear a, a mask. Yeah. This is November of 2022, not March of 2020. So anyway. I imagine him like pulling like Mary Poppins, you know, just pulling out a string of masks out and handing them out. But um, <laughs> no, we were just talking about this. I was we, we were talking about the cocaine in the White House issue. And it's like, oh, they, they don't know anything and they, they're never going to know who whose it is. And I was just saying that they have no problems monitoring our Twitter feeds and knowing, you know, having pictures of every person who was in the building on certain days, um, but somehow they can't produce this. And, you know, what you're talking about is getting all this information of all of this behind-the-scenes secret chit-chat. It's like, you know, it's all just a big secret show up there. Yeah, and if you didn't have our lawsuit and you didn't have the Twitter files, nobody would have ever seen any of this. And if you would have been talking about it on your radio show, they would have said, oh, that's you know, misinformation and yeah. disinformation. We've got to take that down. And, and that's, I think that's what's so scary about all this. And they're perfectly willing. And I'll tell you the coverage from the mainstream media on this, the New York times and the wall street, or the, uh, the Washington post, the New York times, even CBS news, you know, these are news organizations that essentially are protected by the first amendment to, to have editorials and write stories. And yet they don't actually care about the first amendment at all. They want to be able to control the narrative under the guise of misinformation or disinformation to censor speech they don't like. And that's incredibly dangerous. And it's not new. Like, that's happened since civilization began, and it happens in the world today. But America's always been kind of an exception to that. And I think that's why this case is so important. Well, if you dial back 20, 25 years ago, that was always the impetus of campaign finance reform is the media thought, okay, if we can limit how much politicians can spend, then we can, we can set the narrative for every campaign. The problem now is there's all these alternative ways that people can share news with each other that, that the, the CNNs and the NBCs of the world can't handle. You know, we had talked about this a few weeks ago. You had your, uh, your maiden speech in the U.S. Senate. You talked about dismantling the administrative state. Talk to us about how you picked that issue to be the one you wanted to focus on in your first speech. Yeah, there was so the, 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 the maiden speech, which, was, by the way, was just the day before the congressional baseball game. I hope we have a chance to talk about that. Oh, we're going to get there. Um, 
Okay. But anyway, the day, so it was a big week and uh, my family was up there and, and basically the, the speech was, um, this is the greatest country in the history of the world, right? Because we're the first country that, that was founded on an idea. But Franklin's warning coming out of the Constitutional Convention was, you got a republic if you can keep it. Meaning it's, it's hard. And a constitution provides these guardrails, which is why we got to be vigilant in protecting um, constitutional rights. But the two main threats, one is uh, this you know, uh, unprecedented attack on free speech, but the other threat is the supercharging of the administrative state. And what that is, is these agencies that are led by people or people that work in them that have never been elected to anything in our system of representative government, uh, where you can send people there and send them home or send them back, they're making huge decisions for people without really any authority. Um, they can issue a guidance letter and destroy someone's life or their livelihood that they've spent their whole time building the business for. And then Congress never, you know, voted for this Green New Deal, but an interpretation by some mid-level bureaucrat changes the game forever. And so we've got to get away from this idea if we want to, you know, have a healthy republic where unelected folks are making big decisions. And so a couple of solutions to offer there is, look, if there's anything that's significant that's ever being moved forward by an agency, Congress should have to vote on it, right? Like, I should have to take that vote. And the people of Missouri can judge me by it. They can say, that was a great vote or what a terrible vote. And they can, you know, in six years, they have a chance to have their say on whether or not I continue to be their U.S. senator. But right now, these are nameless, faceless bureaucrats who immense who have immense authority and it was never contemplated so we've got to figure out a way to rein in and dismantle the administrative state that i think is eroding trust with people because a lot of people that i've talked to and i ran and won three statewide elections in six years so you get around the state and you talk to real people a bunch and it, what you hear very often is look we send people there but it feels like sometimes nothing ever really changes and i think part of that is um, Congress has willingly ceded a lot of this authority, these, these executive branch agencies. We've got to pull that back and, and gain some measure of accountability again. There was a report that came out last week. You probably saw it, but it basically said that D.C. bureaucrats handed down 3,000 pages. That's no 3,000 publications from the administration. Um, so that's that's publications, not rules. It included two, like so way more rules, 265 significant rules that cost 117 billion. It's a really interesting report talking about the same thing. And, you know, the only tool you guys have right now is the Congressional Review Act, which no one really uses. Mm-hmm. But they had a couple suggestions. Um, but we will um, we'll send that over. So you can see that. Yeah, you got the Reins Act, which I said, yeah, yeah, you got the Reins Act, which would make us vote for. It. And then also the first bill that I actually filed was if you're an agency and you want to propose a new rule, you got to pull back three first. Love and it. I think that would go a long way in addressing the issue. Very few people know this about Senator Schmidt, but um, prior to being Senator Schmidt, Eric was a, a, a baseball player at Truman State University. When he served in the state Senate, Eric and I were on a legislative softball team together. But now you've gone up to the major leagues. Eric, tell us a little bit about playing in the congressional baseball game. It was fun. Well, I was just glad you gave me a chance to play on your team. You know, it got I got drafted by Speaker Har at the time, so that was fun. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a baseball game in National Park. There were um, twenty seven thousand people there. I mean, I had no idea of any of this. They just found out that I had played baseball, asked me to, if I wanted to be on the team, and like it's the real deal. There's practices at five forty five in the morning um, from March through <laughs> through June. Um, and that's 4:45 in the morning Missouri time, 
And so, uh, you know, you get in there and you're taking BP and you're, you know, judging fly balls again. So that was a lot of fun and practices very early. But I got to know a lot of House members. I was really the only senator. Joni Ernst played too. But I guess at 47, uh, the average age of the Senate is like 68. So I'm on the younger <laughs> side. Most of them are House members. But anyway, so we get to the game. My family was there. I was, you know, batting cleanup and playing in left field. And I'm looking around and I was telling people, I'm, you know, on the team, I'm like, this is what I really wanted to do. <laughs> My life is out here for this. <laughs> so I had a chance to play and uh, lost the first time, had a single the second time, then came up the third at bat with the bases loaded and hit a, a stand-up bases clearing triple, which was fun, a lot of fun. And uh, it was a great night. We won 16-6 to and uh, was able to represent – Missouri, I think, pretty well that night. Well, I'll remind you, back in 2018, St. Louis uh, Regional Chamber approached me and said, hey, we want the Missouri legislature to play the Illinois legislature. Go pick a team. And I renegotiated the rules to get a statewide on the team so I could draft you to play. If you guys ever can renegotiate the rules in in D.C., I'd I'd be happy to volunteer my services. I'll work on it. I'll work on that. No, you were a you were a great ambassador for the uh, for the game. I always appreciate you having me on your team, Senator Schmidt. We finish every interview with two questions. First is the uh, question of the day. Question of the day, different every single day. Everybody out on the show has to answer the question. Question of the day today: If you and your family get invited over to somebody's and they say, "Hey, we want you to bring a dish," what food do you bring? Pork steak. <laughs> I predicted off air. I was like, I know what he's going to say to this well, question. Let me, I guess, let me that's, give the that's background. The I'm, not, I'm not hedging, but um, my wife, Jamie, would say, no, wait a minute. We need to bring something probably different. But that would be my initial. So I'm a big advocate for the pork steak, which is, of course, a the pork shoulder slice and steak. Put some, as a steak, you put some malls barbecue sauce on it and uh i could eat that every day and uh we were serving together when the pork steak rebellion happened i was in the state senate the epa proposed this ridiculous rule about carbon emissions from backyard barbecues and missouri rose up and led the pork steak rebellion and they threw the rule so that was i guess my first taste of taking on the administrative state on behalf of the the barbecue aficionados of our great state uh finally senator schmidt if people want to follow along with the work that you're doing in washington dc as a U.S. Senator for Missouri, how do they do that? Well, we've got, um, so my uh, Twitter machine handle is Eric underscore Schmidt, S-T-H-M-I-T-T, and then I'm on the Facebooks and Instas. Um, but then our office has, you know, Senator Eric Schmidt handle, and uh, they can sign up for emails and updates. And, uh, you know, uh, it's exciting. I was sworn in about six months ago, so we want to do everything we can to, to update uh, constituents on what's going on and, and what we're working on. Senator Schmidt, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, man. Good to talk to you again. Uh, You guys are doing a great job. Thanks. Take care, sir. That was Senator Eric Schmidt. Before we jump into break, Garrett, you've got a news update? Yeah, just real quick. um, It seems to be, and I've gotten this from a couple of different sources now, there is a rollover crash on US 65 south of Chestnut Expressway. So I want to navigate yourself around those uh, roadway changes. It looks to be... I'm looking online here. It says there it is a non-accident injury so far, so at least nothing serious is going on as far as we know. But uh, one more time, that's a rollover crash on 65, just a little bit south of Chestnut Expressway. And I, I think after every news report, I have to say this is Garrett Bowles, KWTO News. <laughs> um, and and now, now we're good. All right. <laughs> we're going to come back. We're going to answer the question of the day. Don't forget, coming up, 505, what the hell's going on in Washington, D.C., and 520, 
AJ Hurley with the uh, American Life League. We'll have all that next. Next, pay your fair share. Raising taxes happens right here. Fentanyl. Cartels are responsible for the deaths. 